encourage you to take your Bibles this morning and we turn to Genesis chapter 45. We've been away from our study of Genesis for a few weeks, but we return to that today. And uh, we don't have too many more chapters left, and we'll be through the book of Genesis. It's been an interesting study, and I've enjoyed preaching through uh, this book. Genesis chapter 45, if you'll follow in your Bibles as, as I read this morning. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept loud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to, to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, the lord of, his, of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye, and go up to my father, and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me lord of all Egypt, come down unto me, tarry not. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks, and thy herds, and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that ye have seen. And ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come, and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, laid your beast, and go get you into the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of, of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now there thou art commanded, this do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones, for your wives, and, for, and bring your father, and come. And regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. And the children of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them, gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and he gave them provision for the way. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver, and five changes of raiment. And to his father he sent after this manner ten asses laden with good things of Egypt, and ten she-asses laden with bread and meat uh, for his father by the way. So he sent his brethren away, and they departed, and he said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. And they went up out of Egypt, and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor of all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, 
for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, uh, their father, revived. And Israel said, It's enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this passage of Scripture. It's a great passage, Lord, because it tells about a reconciliation that takes place in this family of Israel. And we thank you, Lord, that we can look at it today and study it. And I pray you give enablement to bring the message. And I pray that the truth of God's Word will be clear to all of us as we apply it, Lord, and and relate it to our own reconciliation to you. I pray that you might make it clear. And I ask, Lord, if there's anyone here today who has not trusted Jesus as their Savior, that today would be the day that they're reconciled to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray you'll bless the message now. Use it to bring honor and glory for yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us have probably experienced sometime the heart-tugging story of reconciliation. Maybe it's been between you and a family member, or you and a friend, or maybe you know of it happening in a person's life who's close to you. The basics of a reconciliation story are, first of all, people who once were close had something happen in their life that destroyed their friendship. Those who used to be in harmony are now in disharmony. Those who used to be friends are now enemies. Those who used to work to maintain their friendship are now working to keep the friendship fractured. And then something happens in their life. Either a happening or a series of happenings cause the two parties to come together. And what happens is there is reconciliation because there's a a recognizing of wrongdoing, there's forgiveness, and the result, of course, is people being reconciled. It's interesting that in the Christmas stories over that are on Hallmark, often this is a theme of reconciliation. People have been divided, you know, and they come back together, and it's always a, a good thing to see. And so it's good when a reconciliation takes place. The Bible says in Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The verb recognize reconcile means to uh, change from enmity to friendship. So a person has become an enemy, and now the reconciliation takes place, and so now there's friendship again. When reconciliation takes place, it's because of, it's a wonderful experience because of certain things. One thing we could say, it's never pleasant to carry a grudge. If you've ever carried a grudge, I'll guarantee you did, you did not enjoy it. It's never pleasant or never enjoyable to be critical. And people who are not reconciled are usually critical of the people that they're having trouble with. It's never liberating to be unforgiving. You never feel better because you won't forgive somebody. It always makes you feel worse. It's never liberating to be unforgiving. And it's never refreshing to be angry. I mean, nobody that's angry feels refreshed. Uh, It's always a detriment to our well-being. If you have been wronged by another person and you allow yourself to remain angry, unforgiving, fault-finding, bitter, and revengeful, then I guarantee you, you have become a miserable person. It might be that someone here today is experiencing that very thing. 
But if you're willing to forgive your enemy and to be forgiven by your enemy and allow reconciliation to take place, you will experience liberty, joy, and peace that comes when we obey God. So, so as we've explained this, so is the story of Genesis chapter 45. Joseph and his brethren have been separated for 22 years. His brothers have treated him wrongfully. They stole his a coat of many colors, tore it off of him. Then they threw him down in a pit. And then they sold him to the Ishmaelites. And then the Ishmaelites took him to Egypt and they sold him into slavery. Uh, their brother, his brothers hated him. In fact, they planned to murder him before they sold him off into slavery. No doubt Joseph was initially very angry with his brothers as well. He was angry with his brothers because they would not listen to him as he cried for help down in the pit. They took him away from his father. They robbed him of years with his family. And so initially, I'm sure that Joseph was angry as well. So there needed to be reconciliation. The family of of Jacob was in desperate need of reconciliation. The brothers and also the dad himself had been lied to and all of that, and so there needed to be something happen in this family to bring them back together. So let's consider this morning the story of reconciliation as we find it in chapter 45. And then after that, we're going to consider how the Lord is, that how we are reconciled to God. First of all, the reconciliation of Joseph's family. Joseph had been reconciled in his heart at this time to his brothers. Now we're talking about chapter 45. After everything that has happened up to chapter 45, Joseph is reconciled to his brothers in his heart. At first, he was angry with his brothers, but he's not anymore. He began to see God's hand of preservation and preparation in his life. He looked back and saw that uh, he was, after he was sold into slavery, God saw to it that he was in a prominent home. He was in in Potiphar's household. It could have been another household, but he was in a prominent home. He was given great responsibility in Potiphar's house. He was raised to the position where Potiphar trusted him for everything in his household. And then when he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, his life was spared. He could have died. I mean, Potiphar could have had him put to death, but he didn't. And no doubt Joseph looks back and sees God's hand in his life. When he rose, then he rose to prominence in prison, and he became uh, uh, a, the one who was in charge of everybody in the prison. He looked back and saw that. He knew God was working in his life. He's also, when he was brought out of prison, he stood before, before Pharaoh, and he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. What a privilege for a man like Joseph, just a young man like him, to be brought to that place where he was standing before Pharaoh and interpreting his dreams. And then he was made ruler over all the land of Egypt. And when we come to chapter 45, we look back and see all of this has happened in Joseph's life. Joseph has seen that. And in his mind, he was reconciled to his brother. And also he saw his dreams fulfilled. You remember, he had already seen his brothers bow down before him. And so he saw the dreams that he had uh, fulfilled, where he, where he dreamed that the sheaves bowed down before him. And the sun and moon and the stars bowed down before him. He saw all that come to fulfillment. And so uh, how could he be angry and unforgiving with his brothers when God had used them to bless him to where he is right now? Here he's ruler in Egypt, 
How can he look back and feel bad toward his brothers when it's because of them, really, that he is where he is? And God has worked it all out. And so he is ready for reconciliation with his brothers. In fact, he's already been reconciled in his heart. He was ready because he loved them. He didn't hate his brothers. He loved his brothers. He did not hold a grudge against his brother. He forgave them. He did not seek revenge. He sought their well-being. He desired to be close to them. He wanted them to be where he was. And there was no enmity in his heart toward his brothers. So Joseph, in his heart, was reconciled to his brothers when we get to chapter 45. But what about Joseph's brothers? Joseph's brothers were a place in their life when they, where they could be reconciled. You see, Joseph had put them through some t- tests. He had brought things uh, uh, into their life and uh, put them through experiences to test them for a particular reason, and that was to find out where they were in their life and find out if they had changed any. And they, he found out through testing them that they respected and loved their father. Now, when Joseph was home, I imagine that love for their father wasn't as strong as it was at chapter 45 because they resented their father uh, treating Joseph in a special way. And they were willing even to kill their father's favorite son. And so they didn't respect their father. But through testing them, he found out that they respected and loved their father. He also found out that they loved Benjamin. Benjamin was the other child of Joseph's mother and the the only two she had. And he was favored, Joseph was favored, but when he left, he no doubt knew that Benjamin would be favored and he wondered whether his brothers would treat Benjamin like they treated him. And he knew that Benjamin was still favored. I mean, he could tell that from what had been said. But he also found out that they did not... resent uh, Benjamin. They loved Benjamin. They wanted the best thing for Benjamin. They were repentant of their actions toward Joseph. He had found that out through questioning them. Remember back in chapter 42, they, when they didn't think that Joseph could understand them, they said, we are guilty of the blood of our brothers and our, of our brother. And one of them spoke up and said, I told you not to do it, but you wouldn't listen to me. And he heard all that, and he knew they had a change of heart, and they were ready for reconciliation. They would be willing to admit that Joseph's dreams were true. They weren't willing to admit that before, but they had to now. They had already bowed. They had already bowed before Joseph, and so Joseph knew that they were in the place where they were humbled, and when he told them who he was, they would have to admit the dreams were true, and they were humbled. So Joseph reasoned that his brothers were at the place where they could be reconciled to him. He was reconciled to them. They could be reconciled to him. So he figured that would happen. So reconciliation takes place, and that's what chapter 45 is all about. Joseph presented the opportunity for them to be reconciled. And notice what it says in verse 2 of chapter 45. He said, everybody out. So he has all these Egyptians there with him, and he makes all of them go out, and nobody is there except his brothers. And what does he do? Stand as the the austere ruler, uh, telling them what's going to happen? No, he doesn't. He breaks down and cries, and he weeps aloud 
there before his brother. Only his brothers are there. And he's in a humble position, and he's weeping there before his brothers. Also, we find that, that only his brothers were present when he did that, so it was genuine. It was a genuine humbling of himself. And then he revealed himself. And notice how he says it. He says, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? Now, he was already asked about his father, but now that they know he's Joseph, he wants them to, te- he wants them to tell him the truth. I mean, make sure it's the truth. I am Joseph, does my father yet live? And they are taken back. They don't know what to think. And he says, come here, come near to me. And so they come up close to him. And he says, I am Joseph, your brother. And then he adds this, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, nobody would know that but Joseph. (laughs) And so he says, I'm the real deal. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, I want you to think about something. This could be the first time that Benjamin ever heard that. Benjamin had been lied to through all those years as well. He had been kept in the dark. He probably didn't know what happened to Joseph. He just believed the story that came back and, and the, the thing that, uh, that his father decided must have happened, that a beast tore him apart. And so he believed that. And this right here at this time was probably the first time he knew when Joseph says, I am Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. And Benjamin's hearing that maybe for the first time. He recognized God's working in all that happened. And uh, as Joseph is talking to his brothers, he's humbled and he says, Be not angry with yourselves or grieve with yourselves that you sold me. Because he said, God overruled in all of it. And then he says this, God sent me before you to preserve life. Because two years of famine have already happened, there's five more years coming. God sent me here to preserve life. And then he said, God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity and to save you with a great deliverance. God sent me before so our family would not be destroyed, so our family would not be wiped out by the famine. God sent you before me, because, sent you, me before you because he is working for us, our family, and God's using me to do that. It was not you that sent me, he said. It was God. Now, that's quite something for Joseph to say. He said, I'm going to release you of responsibilities. It wasn't you that sent me. It was God. Now, Brother Barney touched on this this morning in the Sunday school class. You know, the devil can't do anything to us unless God permits it. And there can't be anything bad happen in our life unless God permits it. And so God is the one who gives permission for things like that to happen. And if he has allows something bad to happen in our life, there's a good purpose for it. And so he's saying that. He said, really, God, you didn't send me here. God did. And he sent me for this reason. And he's, again, giving God the credit. He says, God made me father to a Pharaoh. I'm in a position to Pharaoh. like I give advice to him like a father would give to him. He listens to me. And like, like a father to Pharaoh, he has made me lord over all of his house, all of Pharaoh's house. You remember he was lord over all of Potiphar's house. Now he says, I'm lord over all of Pharaoh's house. And in addition to that, he's made me ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. And he's giving credit to God. He says, God 
did this. And then he set out a plan for their future. He said, now, since I've told you all of that, here's my instructions. You go tell my father that God has made Joseph ruler over Egypt and that he's to come down into Egypt and not to tarry. Come down quickly. And he said, you will dwell in the best land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen. And I will nourish you so that you will not come to poverty. If you're left back there in the land of, land of Canaan, you might survive, but you'll, after it's all over, you'll be poor. But I will not allow you to come to poverty. You come down into Egypt. And tell my father of all my glory in Egypt. Haste and bring down my father. Go get him and tell him what it's like. Tell him that I'm in charge and I'm, I'm in a glorious position. Tell him all that's that happens to his son, that has happened to his son, who he thought was dead. And Joseph and his brothers then are reconciled. Now Joseph does all, says all that, explains it all, and then the reconciliation takes place. Now what, how do we know that it took place? Well, there was weeping, there was hugging, there was kissing, and uh, then they talked. <laughs> And so they've all broke down. The pride was taken away. And they hugged each other. And, uh, and they talked. And no doubt the brothers said to Joseph, Joseph, I know we did wrong. We're sorry. And we admitted that. We didn't know you understood it, but we admitted it before. But we are truly sorry. And I'm so glad that you're all right. And they had a great conversation. I don't know what all they talked about. But then it says in verse 16, and the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren to come, and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. Now, I just want to say one thing there, and that is when there's true reconciliation in a family or among friends, others hear about it. <laughs> others hear about it. When there's a breakup in the family, others know about it. And it causes a lot of damage. But when there's true reconciliation takes place, others hear about it. And they did. Now, I don't know that Pharaoh knew anything about this, about this division. All he knew was that Joseph, uh, that, uh, that, there were, that there were brothers, and, but he didn't know about what their brothers had done to Joseph. I don't think Joseph had told that. There's no evidence that Joseph ever told anybody about this intimate detail in his family. But now they find out that there's been a great reconciliation and the Joseph and his brothers are here and they've come together and everybody hears about it and the word spreads quickly. And then Pharaoh provided for, Pharaoh, for the family to come. And Pharaoh told them, he says, load your, load your beast and go. You know, they brought donkeys with them probably. And he said, now load your beast with all the food and, and go back home. And bring your father and your households, and I will give you the good land of Egypt, and take wagons for your little ones, your wives, and your fathers. Take, take some wagons. Now, those wagons were not known, we understand from archaeology, back in, 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 uh, in Canaan. They were not uh, uh, the ordinary thing back there. And so when, Joseph, when Jacob saw those wagons, he was impressed. But so you take the wagons so your little ones can ride in them, your wives can ride in them, and your older father can ride in them. And don't worry about your stuff. I think that's interesting. <laughs> it says don't worry about your stuff. And that means uh, leave all your personal things there. Don't worry about bringing those. 
Don't worry about things that you'd like to set up in your house and all that. Don't worry about that stuff. The whole of the land of Egypt will be before you, and you'll have the good of the land. You don't need to worry about it. And so you just come. And then and he gave then Joseph gave them raiments, and he gave ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten she donkeys loaded with corn, bread, and meat. And the, depart, the brothers departed. They went back to the to their families, and Joseph cautioned them as they were leaving. He said, "Now don't you fall out in the way." I believe that means don't you go quarreling in the way. Don't you fall out with each other. You know, they've been used to that. They've been known for that. He said, don't do that. There should be unity now in our family, and so don't fall out by by the way. So they went to Canaan, and they told Jacob. Jacob, they said to Jacob, Joseph is yet alive. He's the governor over all the land of Egypt. And you can imagine Jacob's first response. I don't believe it. (laughs) He's dead. I've thought him to be dead for since he was 17 years old, and now he's 39, 22 years. I I can't believe it. They said, no, it's true. Joseph is alive, and he's ruler. And then they told him all the words of Joseph. Now, I don't know what all those words were. We have several of them recorded in this passage. But Joseph, they, they rehearsed everything that Joseph said, and no doubt they told the story finally that Joseph got down to Egypt because we sold him. Dad, we're sorry, but we deceived you all these years. And they told all the words of Joseph, and then when Jacob looked out and he saw the wagons, that was, what it, that was the final thing it took. And it convinced him, and he says, I'm going to go and see my son Joseph before I die. That's a great reconciliation story. The family's brought back together. They're reconciled. They have admitted their sin. They love each other, and they're reconciled. If anybody here today has a family situation where their reconciliation is needed, I encourage you to do all that you can to make that reconciliation take place because it'll be so helpful to you and so many people, and I guarantee you other people will notice it, as they did for Joseph. But Joseph and his brothers are reconciled. Now I want us to go for a few minutes to the story of our reconciliation. You see, the reconciliation of God's family is a wonderful thing. The Bible presents it in a way that's a little different than Joseph's, because nowhere in the Bible is it ever said that God is reconciled? God doesn't need to be reconciled because God has never been on the wrong, in the wrong. God has never been the enemy of man, never has been. He has never done anything wrong to man. man men are enemies of God, and a holy and just God will respond to man's enmity But in doing that, he does not do anything wrong to man. So you have never been wronged by God. Get that clear. If you've never been saved, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to understand that God has never done anything wrong to you. Many times I'm visiting and someone will say, well, you know, so-and-so did this wrong to me, and they're talking about a brother in Christ or somebody at the church or the church did this something or this pastor did this. Back in my childhood, this pastor did this. 
or they'll tell a story, and, and I know they're, they're true and, and it, it genuinely hurts, but then I'll usually respond by saying something like this, and what has Jesus ever done to you? What has Jesus ever done wrong to you that would make you not go to church, not serve him, not love him? What has God ever done to you? And the answer is nothing. God has never been your enemy, so there's never been a time that God needs to be reconciled. He doesn't need that because he is right. In fact, that's shown in the Bible. The Bible pictures the Lord Jesus in Revelation 13, verse 8, as slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, when the foundation of the world was laid in God's mind, he he had already sent his son. He was planning to do it. And there was never a break in, 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 in that God was an enemy of man. God was willing at the very beginning to do what was necessary to bring man back to himself. God did not need to be reconciled. Man needed to be reconciled. And so God was slain from the foundation of the world. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned? It, God didn't turn his back on them. God went looking for them. Why, could he, why would he do that? Because he knew that in the future their sins was paid for. In his mind, it was as if it was done. And so he went looking for them. And he, he slew animals and made skins for them. In the Old Testament, there were the Old Testament sacrifices that would, which pointed forward to the fact that Jesus was going to die on the cross and shed his blood for our sins. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world Before he ever died for them, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God has never been our enemy. God is always for us and not against us. And so Matthew chapter 11 pictures the Lord. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, it's like this. Reconciliation is when uh, uh, the need for reconciliation is seen when people turn their backs to each other. You know, you were friends, but now you're not. So you turn against them, they turn against you, and so there's, there needs to be reconciliation. But for God, his back has never been turned against us. Never. God always has his arms outstretched, and he says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so God is ready to, to forgive us. He's ready, willing, and he's able to forgive us. And so the Lord is, is ready for reconciliation to take place on your part because he has no enmity against you. He loves you and wants to save you. But it's man who needs to be reconciled. Man who needs to be reconciled. Man is at enmity with God. The basis of rec- reconciliation is that God Trust, God sent his son Jesus Christ and he died for your sins on the cross. Romans chapter, eight, Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says it like this. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Colossians 1, 21 says, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. The basis for man's reconciliation to God is that Jesus paid for our sins. He paid for everything. 
Everything that was against God, we are enemies of God, but all that enmity was paid for on the cross of Calvary. It's all taken care of, it's all paid, and there's no reason for you to be unreconciled to God because the basis of it, of reconciliation, is there. Jesus has died for your sins. It's finished. It's complete. He offers it to you. You can be reconciled. And then when we believe believe in Jesus Christ and trust Him as our personal Savior, we become reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you'll turn with me there, that's the great passage on reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll just read a few verses. And it says in verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He has reconciled us to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we were reconciled to himself by Jesus Christ. And then when we become reconciled to God, we have a ministry. And that is we become ambassadors for Christ who tell other people that they can be reconciled to God. You see, that's a wonderful thing. All of you here today, I mean most of you here today, as far as I know, you've trusted Jesus as your personal Savior. That means there was a time in your life when you turned to God and said, Lord, I believe that Jesus died for my sins on the cross of Calvary. I accept his sacrifice for me. I know he he died, he was buried, he rose again. And I believe that and I trust you as my Savior. And God says because of that, not because of your good deeds, but because of that, what Jesus did for you, you become reconciled to God. And so God is facing toward you and you have your back toward him, and you trust Jesus as your Savior, and you turn around and find that God's back was not against you. God was saying, come unto me, and you're reconciled to God, and you who were enemies became friends of God, and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, after you do that, you have a ministry, and that is you are to tell other people that they can be reconciled to God. I'm going to illustrate it this morning. I'm going to ask Brother uh, Joshua to come up here and Brother Barney. And Joshua is going to play God. I know it's a poor example, but, but it's the best one we have. I'm not a good example. None of us are. And did you know that God was this dark? But this is God right here. Stand right over here, brother. I love you. Now, he's going to stretch out his arms toward us because... He's not an enemy of us, but I'm a sinner, and so I'm an enemy of God, and and Barney surely is a sinner. You know, he's an enemy of God, too, (laughs) and we are enemies of God. We're not reconciled to God, but one day somebody comes to me, and they share with me the gospel. It happened many times in my life, and I remember a strategic time when I was 13, I heard the gospel but I didn't respond. It it wasn't until I was 22 years old that I responded and I trusted Jesus. And I heard that gospel and they said, you're a sinner. You're against God, but God wants to save you because God sent his son Jesus to die for your sins on the cross of Calvary. 
and he died for those, and he was buried, he rose again the third day, it's all paid for, he's ready to forgive you, and to make you his child, will you trust him as your savior, and that day, in the pastor's office, in Xenia, Ohio, Pastor John Teeters, I trusted Jesus as my savior, and I turned around, and I found that God was waiting to accept me, I didn't have to say, God, I want you to save me. He was ready. All I had to do was trust what he did for me, and he was ready. Now, we who were enemies are now friends, and God is my friend, and I'm his friend. And so, I'm reconciled to God. But then the Bible says, since I have been reconciled, he gives me a ministry of reconciliation. And he says, I'm supposed to go and tell other people, so I become an ambassador an ambassador for God, and I go to tell other people, and Barney's standing here, and I tell him, Barney, uh, you're a sinner, and you know that. I mean, you've done some bad things, I'm sure. But Barney, I want you to know Jesus died for you on the cross of Calvary. He paid for all of your sins. He wants to be your Savior. And you've turned aside a long time. You've turned against him. But you need to trust Jesus as your Savior. He loves you. He paid the price for your sins. It's all paid for. He wants you to be saved. Won't you trust Jesus as your personal Savior? And Barney thinks about it. Hopefully he'll trust him. And he does. He turns around, and he now is reconciled to God because he finds the same thing I found, that God is ready to receive him, and he becomes a child of God, and he becomes a friend of God God becomes his friend, and uh, I'm his friend. We have a mutual friend in Jesus Christ. And that's one reason in this locality, we as a local church, we want to get together, you know, because we love the same Lord who's reconciled, who reconciled us to himself. And so that's the story of reconciliation. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Your wife won't believe it's your God, but... uh, Thank you, brother. But that's reconciliation. And I ask you today, have you been reconciled to God? Is there a time in your life where you know that you have turned in faith and trusted Jesus as your Savior? If you haven't, today is a wonderful day to do that. All you have to do is trust Jesus. Turn to God and say, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus died for me. I want him as my Savior. I accept him, and God will reconcile you to himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for helping us to see this wonderful story of reconciliation in Joseph's life. But Lord, help. thank you that we've been able to see how people can be reconciled to God. Lord, I just ask that you might work in people's hearts today. And if anybody here is without Jesus, I pray that today would be the day of faith for them. And Lord, if there's someone who needs reconciliation in their life with individuals, I pray that they might pursue that and that it might be accomplished in their life. Thank you for all that you've done for us. We love you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.